Hello, and welcome to Bittersweet Ramblings. What is even more noticeable about the introduction today, as opposed to most days when I do an introduction, is that I don't feel like doing one. So I'm going to go straight into talking about one of my favorite movies, Alien. Alien is a story of a space crew on a working ship. It's basically, it's a tugboat or a tow truck for other spaceships. This ship gets sidetracked and they, they actually get uh, wakened from slumber by a distress call from another ship that has crashed on a planet out in the middle of space. The distress ship looks like it was down for about 50 years, so I'm not quite sure how that distress call was still working. Uh, but kudos to whoever developed the battery power on that. Now the crew of the tow truck, they go ahead and they get out of the tow truck and they, you know, a couple of them go into that distressed spaceship. In the distressed ship, one of the first things you see is an alien creature that had clearly been the pilot of that ship in the pilot seat and its chest is entirely burst open, which would explain the crash. Now if this were a crew of researchers or archaeologists, they might take this as a bad sign. But this is a group from a space tow truck. It's a specialized space tow truck, but it's a tow truck. So they decide to keep mucking about. Now in the cargo bay of the ship, as they're sort of wandering around, they run across a bunch of very large eggs. And one of the guys from the tow truck decides to stick his face down into the bunch of eggs. This does not go well for him, as would be expected. Then uh, his partner uh, drags him back to the tugboat with a nasty case of something attached to his face and jammed down his throat. They uh, break protocol and they bring him into the ship. And eventually in the med lab, the thing falls off his face and everyone decides it's cool and that everything's just cured and they're gonna eat lunch. Then, as he's eating, a little tiny creature forces its way out of his chest, kind of explodes out of it, sees a look of horror on everyone's face and runs away. Then in a few hours or so, it grows incredibly fast and begins just randomly attacking the crew. Seriously, this alien grows really fast. And I understand, growth spurts can really hurt like hell, so you can imagine the mood of the alien after all of these growth spurts it had just, you know, endured. Everything would be hurting. Which I think maybe better explains why it was so pissed off. It's like an amplified teenage rebellion, you know, with a few more homicidal tendencies involved. And this is the crew for a tow truck, so... They really are not set up to defend themselves against a pissed off teenage alien that has acid instead of blood. And then the tow truck crew finds out that the corporation that they worked for had set them up to find this distressed ship. And the corporation decided that instead of sending a scientific team, they were, you know, gonna send, you know, someone else. Because you know, <laughs> there was... There was probably one manager at the meeting who was, you know, trying to make a big power grab. And he's like, hey, let's send my tow truck crew. They've done some stellar tow trucking work. I have no doubt they can cover this research and development thing. Just just go ahead, 
take the money that you would give the R&D department for this little excursion, just throw it into my towing department and I'll take the cash and then we can use that and I can send them down there. It just, it falls under other duties as assigned, which is in their contracts, it's fine. I have a really good feeling about this, guys. And that manager, he doesn't know shit about what he's doing. It's just a stupid corporate power game. And this manager is just overreaching and trying to dip into other departments pool. And he's just so annoying that the other managers are like, fine, great, you do that. Good luck. So on the tow truck, Ripley is the hero who manages to save herself and the cat. And she, she probably could have done it without blowing up her workplace at the end. I, I understand there was an alien on board with acid for blood and, and, you know, with a temper problem. But, you know, just, just throw an obnoxious bumper sticker on the back of, you know, your ship and then the other ships will just avoid it like the plague, at least until they can get an exterminator up there. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand why she felt like blowing it up. People get really cranky when they feel they're being screwed over by the place where they work. But on sort of the other side of the penny on this one, corporations get really super cranky about you blowing their shit up. And they can afford better lawyers than you can. They're also just going to assume, because there's no evidence to the contrary, that you blew up the ship with your co-workers still alive on it. And that is frowned upon no matter how annoying it is when someone takes your lunch at work. Those are, those are murder charges and that's not a good thing. Now, during the movie Alien, I really wanted to know more about the mummified pilot, the pilot of the distressed ship, which was carrying this sort of cargo of eggs. The pilot was clearly infected with it. So, you know, was he trying to outrun the, uh, the, the growth of this creature inside of him because he knew what the cargo was and therefore realized what was happening? Or was it just like a truck driver and things went wrong when the pilot went down to go check on the cargo? If this were like an overly dramatic B-movie, this mummified pilot would have been like infected to get him to his destination sooner because he worked with like a criminal or a mob enterprise and they were intentionally going to infect the pilot just to make sure he'd get there on time or something like that. I, I just don't think that anyone would intentionally infect a pilot. It would just destroy the cargo, you lose the ship, and you lose the pilot. You would have to be a really lousy criminal enterprise or mobster enterprise or corporate entity to do that. It's just bad business. You are just wasting resources. I think it was a bumbling accidental mess. This was a pilot who probably just wanted to handle things on his own because he wanted, you know, more of the contract money. Because you only saw the pilot and there wasn't any indication of any other crew members. It's like one of those situations where you realize that something went wrong and then you go to try to fix it or you do something you wouldn't normally do to try to fix or correct things and then you get into deeper trouble because you are doing something you would not normally do or not supposed to do. And then everything starts to compound and it keeps getting worse and you keep digging yourself in deeper. And you try to do something to fix the last problem you created, which goes wrong and creates yet another problem. And then you reach a point where you cannot figure out how you're going to get out of this without looking like a dumbass. 
I understand this because this is how cooking goes for me, like regularly. That's how I ended up with so many burnt pans just lying in my backyard. Now, everything on this distressed ship was mummified or covered with dust, but I have a really strong feeling that this was held together with like spit and duct tape. This uh, distressed ship had some stunning set designs by like H.R. Geiger. They were very organic and there were lots of bumps and pipes. It's a very distinctive style. But if you cleared off that dust, how many of those bumps were duct tape or wires or rags just tied around stuff to hold it together? You can cover up a lot of shoddy work with a layer of putty or dust. The pilot probably didn't have a crew because they walked onto the ship, looked around, said hell no, and walked off because you know a death trap when you walk onto one. And then when he's out there flying this cargo around, you know, he has a rough patch. And even though the pilot's supposed to avoid the cargo room, it decided to go in there and check on the cargo and managed to lean in too close to an egg. And that's when things just started to go south. And the pilot realized there was trouble and was trying to get to help before things went to hell, but didn't make it. The bumbling through scenario is a scenario that just makes more sense to me because that's how things really start to go sideways. So why was this pilot carrying this cargo? You know that this pilot was probably the lowest bid and was probably trying to do things on the cheap just to, you know, skim a little bit more money. Now, a lot of times, again, in the movies, they have storylines where the protagonist is forced to do things that are morally questionable or, you know, basically like it's, you know, you have to do this bad thing. There's no other option for you. Or, you know, they're an anti-hero who's just super cool and charismatic and everything works out great for them. The people who are great in movies, but if you met them in real life, you would hate their guts. Because <laughs> they're just horrible to other people, but in it for themselves, you know? But in the movies, you know, they're forced to do this. And this way, in the movie, they can do these horrible and dramatic things that look great on camera, but they're forced to do it and they can pretend to be conflicted because they're things that look great on camera but would be horrible to have happen to you or to do to other people in real life. And then everyone who they are against or fighting with is just so two-dimensionally bad. They are just amplified jerks. To the point where even if the antagonist is in the right, people root against them for sucking as human beings. It gives some people the impression that life is two-dimensional when it's not. How many times have you done something or been asked to do something that you are not completely comfortable doing? It's not something that's completely black or white. It's in the gray, kind of leaning towards black, but not completely clear. Or you could do it, but you really haven't been given enough information to determine why you should be doing it. And so you like mark everywhere that your manager or your supervisor or your team lead told you to do it because you don't want it to come back on you later. A lot of times in movies, they present it as black and white stuff. Easy, right and wrong. And they're so heavily weighted that it's clear what the correct choice is. But that tends to happen in movies because there's a time limit and they can't really dig into details. The black and white is a lot more rare in real time. Usually it's a lot more gray. Does that mean that 
Well, I'm in the right, so I should just ignore basic social norms and start screaming at other people you work with? Or insulting them? Because somehow that's not going to come back on you later? No! Don't, don't do that! It's frowned upon. It makes you a lousy coworker. People are not going to want to work with you and your HR department will fire you or start working on weeding you out. It definitely does not mean that you shouldn't question what you're being asked to do, but don't take it out on everybody around you. I was also questioning the face hugger from the egg. Like, was it really supposed to be hugging the face, or was it kind of intended for a different orifice? Like, would it try to enter through an ear canal? Because really, it's just looking for a passage inside of a warm body, right? So what if you accidentally sat on it? Like, somebody drops it in the toilet in the middle of the night and you sat on it, would things have gone differently? Maybe it's intended to be an ass hugger, not a face hugger. Because these things, these eggs, they're really low to the ground. And normally, rather than sticking your face on it, you might accidentally sit on it. Instead of bursting through the chest, where it maybe was unable to find another way out, was it supposed to be something that would come out through the colon? And this would explain why the pilot was super embarrassed. And maybe it was piloting instead of going straight for help. You know, he'd have to go to the doctor. And the doctor would go, you... You put your face where? Down on the floor by the egg. Uh-huh. Oh, you, you tripped. You tripped and it just landed there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. No, I believe you. I, uh, see this kind of thing all the time. When I first saw the movie Alien, I was really frustrated with the crew member who completely and totally froze when she saw the alien. She was with another crew member and they were both trying to just load this stuff really quickly. And she saw the alien first and froze. And he had um, sort of a blowtorch sheet kind of thing. And he was trying to get her to move out of the way and then he was trying to fight it and get her to run, and she just stood there, frozen, basically in complete terror. And it wasn't until much later that I realized that this is a really common reaction. We always think of fight or flight, but it's really fight, flight, or freeze. It's not that she didn't want to run, it was that she couldn't. She just froze up. Her ancient part of her brain told her to freeze to survive, and she just couldn't move. She couldn't move when the alien came towards her. She couldn't move when her crewmate was killed. And she couldn't move when she was probably attacked soon after that. This is the first movie that I remember seeing where that frozen reaction was portrayed in a way where you could really see the horror. She knew what was happening. She knew what was coming, but she couldn't do anything. And this actress did an outstanding job of just portraying pure terror. That type of terror where you're so scared you can't move. You, you can't hear anything outside of your own breathing. It's that level of terror. It's, it's beyond that level of horror that you feel when you can see your doorknob start to turn when you know that it shouldn't be turning and you can't see who's on the other side of the door. Or, you know, when your Wi-Fi access goes down. Or when you get trapped at a party 
by someone who starts talking about how they have started to grow radishes. How the radishes are organic and clearly a new health food, which inevitably leads to them talking endlessly about their take on growing cabbage. Freezing happens to a lot of people in situations that are not good. And I think it, it took too long to really understand the fact that the freeze is a valid response and it's one that people cannot control. And it kicks in again, just like that fight or flight response does and they're hijacked by their, by their own brain. And this movie had a really good portrayal of freezing when it was best to move. There are times when the freeze move works. Like if you're dealing with a big cat, if you're looking straight at it and you're frozen, but not running, there's a, you're gonna have a better chance of surviving than if you try to run. But that primitive part of your brain that controls that reaction, it's not gonna know when it's gonna work or when it will not. You'll see a lot of movies with heroes taking a stand or calmly handling a terrifying situation. And really, when it comes down to it, most people are not gonna be able to do that. It's a new situation. It's something unique. It's something different. It's something they haven't dealt with before. And it's hard to get your brain to adjust to dealing with that situation. And movies seem to emphasize fighting. Showing that, you know, fighting physically is the answer to pretty much all the times when things go wrong. Because it's, you know, dramatic. Ooh, look at that. I punched him in the face. Problem solved. When in everyday life, it, that is usually not the best option. I'm not ruling it out every time, but normally smacking someone during your everyday activity is a very, very bad idea. I would like to think that I would be a fighter and all in a dramatic situation or in an experience that's different from real or everyday life that I would be able to find my way out of it. But realistically, I would be trying to get the hell out or to think my way out, if not outright freezing. It's a new situation. It's not something that you're used to dealing with. And based on that, you're not necessarily going to know how to react or know how you will react. And the reaction that you think you're going to have could be different based on any changes in the situation, including what day it is, how your day was going, where you are. All of these things can affect how you react at that time in that place. I fully admit I would be the person who would be cannon fodder. I would be one of the first ones taken out. In the aftermath, like the cleanup crew would say, well, you know, that monster would have gotten her, but there was an incident involving an icy sidewalk, a mitten and two paper clips. And you know, she didn't make it. You know, the neighbors would be traumatized for years to come, just looking off into the distance, repeating, I'll never look at a paper clip the same way again. That's it for this episode of Bittersweet Ramblings. Thank you for listening and have a good night.